0: Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. For those of you who've been listening to the podcast for the past however many years, four or so, you know that there's such variation in the stories that you hear on the podcast. Everyone is sharing their personal perspective, their personal journeys, but what you also know is that there are so many similarities. It's pretty amazing how different and how similar people's stories can be. The one thing that binds us all together on this journey is the path from suffering and sometimes unknowing, suffering meaning we did not know what was about to hit us, through finding our way and getting to healing. And even on that, everyone's journey is very different. In our episode today, we are going to hear from Lila Tawala. She is an author and poet. She journaled her bouts with pregnancy anxiety, postpartum depression, and preeclampsia in a memoir, Storm of Hope, God, preeclampsia, depression, and me as a way of healing. She's going to walk us through her story of preeclampsia, depression, anxiety, having babies in the NICU, and postpartum depression. She wants people to know that you're never really alone, not in the NICU, and especially in the prayer and bargaining trenches. She's a Filipino mom living in Texas, and she really wants to know that more Asian mamas need to know that they can talk about mental health and not have to feel like it's a taboo thing. She says depression is real and culturally wanting to address postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety so that more people can know that help is available. Lila is a mental health advocate and part of 2020 Mom as an ambassador. She's currently volunteering as a peer support provider for organizations such as International Association of Premenstrual Disorders, and PSI. She hopes that by sharing her maternal mental health and birth stories that moms know they are not alone and can get help through postpartum and their PMDD journeys. Let's hear from Lila. Welcome, Lila. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad that we are able to connect. You have um, a lot of Experience in your experience, many different things that you went through and ways that you healed through your journey. And I think I think it's so valuable for all of us and listeners, especially who have multiple difficult things that happen in their in their path to parenthood, to hear from other people like you, uh, so that they know that they're not alone and there there's a way through. So thank you for for bringing that to us today.
1: And I invite you to start wherever you'd like
0: with your personal story.
1: Okay. Well, let's start it started in 2012, winter or January of 2012. My doctor had just diagnosed me with preeclampsia. And at the time, I had, it was just a blip in my textbooks and nutrition journals and what to say to moms. I worked as a nutritionist. So I counseled prenatal moms a lot. We went over pregnancy and what to expect. Preeclampsia was not one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in my journey, that was the first time I ever heard it. Um, and you know, you Google like crazy, and you try not to get sucked into it. But right. essentially, that's what happened. I got, I got, I think the start of having anxiety over what's going to happen with me, what's going to happen with my baby, what to expect with a premature baby, and of course, fast forward, I ended up having a thirty-one weeker she ended up being in the NICU for forty six days, and then when we came home, I thought, "Oh, like this is it? We're gonna start parenthood right here. Whatever happens, happens." But again, um, I'm a planner uh, by nature, so yeah. When <laughs> I didn't plan out that the anxiety that I had the entire time about having um, a premature baby sure. and all the the things in the NICU, it just started. I guess just. Not necessarily fell in my lap, but it just started becoming even more overwhelming as time went on. And I thought, perhaps, looking back on it, I th- I thought, well, that was probably adrenaline working. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when you're in that mind space, I have to take care of my baby. I have to pump. I have to do this. I, I still have to go figure out what to do about work. So all of that is compounded. And then about when she turned a year, it just started coming in at once. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, maybe I'm not over this. And throughout... That entire time from, I guess, 2012 all the way to when I I was pregnant with my second, it just, I didn't necessarily think there was a, a cyclic type of nature to my mood. Irritable, sad, happy, joyful, grateful. But when I had my son, that's when I noticed throughout that I really wasn't over it. I not only carried that postpartum, or pre-pregnancy anxiety with me to my having pregnancy anxiety with him. Mm. It just blew up in a postpartum depression. And then from there, it was just all the feelings that I had thought I was over from my traumatic birth with my first, it just came to a head and I just couldn't get out of it fast enough. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. I I think people who have had the experience will know exactly what you're talking about. Right. It's so much. And I think when you're in a kind of survival mode, it's hard to know really
1: how affected you are by something. Right.
0: It's really, really difficult.
1: Yeah. Cause it's all about, okay, put one foot in front of the other. It's, mm-hmm. um, I have to keep going somehow for, um, you know, my baby for myself. And then when it, when my son was born, it wasn't like, I mean, again, I, I was working, so I read all the pamphlets. Mm-hmm. you was supposed to see all the signs. Okay, I'm not hurting my kid. Mm-hmm. I'm not crying all all the time. I, I don't think about hurting myself, so I can't have postpartum depression. I, but I'm telling all these moms the signs to look for. And But in my experience, it was, no, I, I wasn't seeing that on myself um, mm-hmm. because they don't really, again, like in the pamphlets, <laughs> they right. don't tell you mm-hmm. about like, Irritability and rage and numbing, and kind of stepping back outside of yourself and not really like just going through the motion. They don't. So, I think I was on autopilot for a long time and it just, you know, my engine broke down. Oh, sure. Um. <laughs> this podcast
0: is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert Uliana Ortube and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six, I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP? was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains.
2: Well, hey there, Busy Mama.
0: Your first was born, you said, at 31 weeks, and she spent some time in the NICU. And during that time, I imagine that was like survival mode time Mm -hmm. and whatnot, and then bringing her home and, and whatnot. And so by the time you had your second pregnancy, there was a lot of anxiety. And what was that like leading up to birth?
1: I definitely a lot of anxiety. And then at 26 weeks, I felt like a ticking time bomb. Um, Even though at that point, my doctor hadn't seen any signs of preeclampsia. So from 26 weeks, 31 weeks, that entire time period, I just felt like I was walking on eggshells. And actually, I I ended up writing goodbye letters to my daughter Mm -hmm. in between those time periods because I Sorry. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know if I was going to make it.
0: Right. That's real. So that's
1: a real fear. Uh, yeah. Cause you do read about how much worse preeclampsia can get. And then again, my like the anxiety kept putting into this fear that, Oh, you got lucky the first time. Mm. This is what's supposed to happen the second time.
0: Oh gosh. That's so <laughs> hard.
1: You know, so that happened, and then at 34 weeks and some change, I woke up, I had most all god-awful headache. I started throwing up, and I just no. knew, you know, you just know. I think if you've been through it before, uh-huh, yeah. you know the signs and what to look for. So I just, I knew I'm going to have my baby today. Right. So I, <laughs> my stubborn self drove to work, told my boss I may not be coming in tomorrow, but I'm. Just, I stopped by on my way to the hospital, and but just to let you know, right? I gotta go home. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I called my doctor and went back to the hospital. I was triaged that evening, and they told me, "Yeah, we're gonna have your baby," in at eight o'clock this tomorrow morning. So I ended up having him. Actually, my husband and I chose not to know the sex of the baby. So that entire time, I was like. I think that was also a part of, I don't know if it was my anxiety playing or what was going through my, my head, but Mm -hmm. not knowing what the sex of it made me feel a lot better just because Uh I could say it's baby, you know, I didn't have this going to be so-and-so right. You know what I mean? Um, Sure. So there was that separation of whatever happens. Mm -hmm. I did not claim this baby. It sounds harsh to say,
0: (laughs) No, I mean, it's, yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing it in because it's a really common experience for people who've had any kind of, of trauma or loss for that matter in, in their, or grief really in their first pregnancy to be worried about getting connected and attached to a next baby. Yeah. Because it feels like if something bad happens, it's going to be that much harder if you are connected. But at the same time, what I find so amazing is how hard you fight for them. It's like, I don't want to get too connected, but I also have to keep this baby safe.
1: Right. It's like such a
0: powerful dynamic that, that birthing people
1: have. All right, man, moms. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. (sighs) But yes. So, um, I think at that time I, I was thinking it was, you know, it's all about my daughter, my daughter, this, everything about my daughter. Mm -hmm. And and then when I went to the hospital, I was like, well, whatever this is, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so I ended up having a son. um, He was born at 34 weeks, six days was right before he turned 35 weeks, Mm -hmm. or I was going to be 35 weeks, five pounds, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. ended up staying in a NICU for 11 days. And the entire time I kept thinking, great, here's another preeclampsia baby. Here's Mm -hmm. another NICU baby. It just, that was where I was at mentally and emotionally at at the time. Mm -hmm. That of course, postpartum depression just <laughs> started coming mm-hmm. in on top of all of that. Did
0: you notice postpartum depression, uh, well, looking back on it, start pretty soon?
1: Um, looking back on it, it probably started a lot sooner than I put a name to it. Sure. I think at that time I was like, okay, but probably started as soon as they wheeled me in for mm. to, to take him out. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't really wasn't able to bond with my son. I wasn't able to have all of these amazing feelings that you're supposed to have with your baby, the very beginning. And then by, by the time he was six months, I think I had gone back to work and my, my, um, it was my ex boss who had told me, you know what? You are not yourself. Something's up. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to go get help. Mm -hmm. So I went and started and, um, I started to find postpartum depression, and I, through that, I found PSI Postpartum Support International. And from there, I don't know what happened. I I really, I honestly don't know. But I got I connected to um, a bunch of poets. <laughs> I went to a group meeting for a. They had a group meeting. The postpartum support. I found one closest to me. I went in and. I spoke with a lady and she said, you know, if you're a writer, you should just write about it. And then um, at the same time, the group of poets were going through this poetry thing. So I was like, well, I don't have time to write, but oh I could God. probably <laughs> I could probably write some poetry. So that started to kind of come together. But I did journal from the time I had my, I think I had journaled on and off when I had my first one with my daughter, like how that was going through our uh-huh. You know our diagnosis, what NICU was like, and then on and off throughout the year. So
0: wow, just kind of came together. (laughs) Wow, into a book about your experiences from from after your daughter was born through the postpartum period of your son.
1: No, the book touches upon his, like my pregnancy with him and the pregnancy anxiety. That's Mm -hmm. from there to like the healing part. But yeah, never put my daughter's story in. Well, I did, but you know, I do not think it was relevant. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. I don't know.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, our, our healing comes how it comes and, um, you know, it, it's hard to, when you're in the middle of processing something where you feel so down with postpartum depression, it's, it's not until you're out of it that you can see the full scope of everything. Yeah. So what was that like for you to put these experiences down in journal entries and poetry?
1: Um, It was hard, definitely, because I had to work up the feelings and emotions I had when I was having my daughter when she was in the NICU. So a lot of that. And I had talked to my doctor at some point during that time, too. And Mm -hmm. she had mentioned, well, maybe you you have some sort of PTSD from the traumatic birth that you just never, you know, you never faced with your Mm -hmm. daughter that it's just now starting to come to head. And that's probably what you're feeling throughout the entire time.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Again, that survival mode thing is very powerful. Um, mm-hmm. It it makes it very hard to notice really what all's going on. So, you had two experiences through the NICU with babies in the NICU. What did you like? How did you cope? How did you get through?
1: I know. I still don't know. <laughs> Faith, definitely. I prayed a lot and then I um, think writing a lot mm-hmm. and then. At some point in my postpartum depression journey, I think I mentioned I wrote letters, goodbye letters to my daughter. At some point, I just, I not threw them away, but I had this ceremonious, let me cut these letters up because I, I am going to survive. You know, I have two kids.
3: <laughs> right.
1: So, yeah, I just, having some sort of sisterhood also helped out a lot um, mm-hmm. at that point in time. I was into a lot of, I was going through um, preeclampsia survival pages, uh, social media, and things like that. And having that feedback and support from other moms who were going through the same thing helps tremendously.
0: Right. Oh, that makes me wonder, did, did anyone around you realize what you were going through? Or did it feel like a very internal, a solo, isolating process?
1: It was very much an isolating process. It wasn't until I started to speak up, hey, this is what happened to me. My son yeah. is close to a year now, and you probably didn't notice that I wasn't at play dates quite as much, or I wasn't all there, that I found out through several different of my mom friends that, oh, they went through the same thing too. So it became sort of, wow, I wish I had spoken up a lot more than um, I would have been able to um, get the help sooner. Yeah,
0: yeah. I totally hear that. It's really it's really hard to to know once you're kind of getting the help and feeling better that you could have felt better sooner. Mm-hmm. It's kind of – because it's also like a process of grieving. Like there's – it's for some people, it feels like they lost time. In, in, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. definitely. You are in that, what, seven stages of grief. You're angry. You're trying to process, and you're in denial. So definitely going through <laughs> – my own grieving period but I think at the same time too um so I'm Asian and a lot of what my culture a Filipino culture deals with is you can handle this yourself you Uh can pick yourself up show the world your tough face and keep going and I think a lot of that didn't help in my favor (laughs) but
4: sure you know Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff.
5: No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what
0: no one told us. So was was the feeling like you you couldn't or shouldn't say
1: anything? I think both. I think it was like, oh, I'm weak if I say something, but um. I'm also I also don't want that pity from people because I can I can do this. I can do this by myself. I think that was what. That was one of the reasons I think subconsciously I just didn't want to share my story at the time. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can do this by myself. Don't worry about me. I, eventually, I'll figure it out. I, this is just a problem. I looked at it like that. This is just a problem I'm having. Um, I will get this fixed right. somehow. Um, and just everybody else can worry about themselves. <laughs> sure. Right. So as you were figuring
0: out what was going on for you, did you want to talk about it or are there people that you did reach out to talk to? And what was that like?
1: I talked to um, a therapist about it. And then the community, um, like my poetry community, the people that I knew I was, my my story would be safe in, but as far as my family or um, anybody else outside of that friends, they, I didn't really talk about it until, I felt I was in a place to talk about it. So it wasn't until he was about a year old, mm-hmm. a year, almost two, that I started to say, hey, this is what was happening, just in case you couldn't figure it out. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I, it wasn't when I, I was comfortable. It was when I was comfortable to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I was able to um, definitely the people closest to me.
0: Sure. I, I I just find it fascinating and amazing really how strong people are when they're going through something to to just kind of power through and get through the day. And then and sometimes nobody can tell that something's mm-hmm. going on. Um every once in a while somebody'll say like, Oh yeah, I was kinda of wondering about X, Y, or Z and you didn't quite seem like yourself sometimes. But the what people see on the outside is, is often very different from what's happening internally um around all you know pregnancy birth postpartum sounds like that was your experience that Mm -hmm. nobody around really could tell
1: right and I also think we are so wrapped up in oh how's the baby doing you know it's all focused on the baby which is fine but we never really take the time to wonder like hey how how is mom really doing Mm -hmm. we don't really even ask that question because again as moms, we are supposed to power through this and we're supposed to, you know, pick ourselves up and vacuum right after delivery. Uh, (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think, I think if we took the time now to, I mean, I know I do, I take the time whenever I have friends who just have babies, I just how are you mom? How are you doing? I'm just checking in. I think that helps a lot.
0: Yeah, it really does. It really does. So it sounds like, oh, with all the 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 healing and work that you've done to get through this, the the kind of what I assume felt like embarrassment or shame or secrecy around your feelings is is not something you hold on to as much.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, I'm proud of where I've been, even though it was messy to get to where I am today. You know, it's it's also both my kid's story that yeah. we survived or we went through. Um, (laughs) a crazy beginning, but Mm -hmm. we're here. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that.
0: Oh, that's, that's fantastic. When you said that, it made me wonder what it was like to, what the process was to feel connected to them because it's, it can, like you were saying with your son, that's hard to get connected when you feel like you're worried. So the the healing journey sometimes through postpartum depression and anxiety is also figuring out how to feel connected. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And it took a while, definitely. I think, you know, in the beginning, I think for sure my daughter helped me out with, with that bonding with, with my son, because she was, she's all about baby brother. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. in my head, I was, I was wanted to survive and do as much as I can for her. And mm-hmm. I think it's through her that I ended up connecting yeah. with my son.
0: Right. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes healing comes from our kids. It's a powerful connection. Okay. So after going through all of this, you clearly found some ways uh, for healing through writing and journal entries and it sounds like therapy. What was your healing process like and and what did you find along the way?
1: So along, um, so between the the poetry community and the preeclampsia community, I found, I found premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD group. I think it was a call on social media. I was on Instagram at the time, I was posting poetry, <laughs> mm-hmm. and one of their posts said, "This is PMDD. Um, we are looking for volunteers." Something. So in my head, I don't know why, but I jumped on board, and I was like, "I'll go volunteer for for um, for this because I I would like to help." At that point, um, I would like to try to help others. Um, so along the way, um, I was. As the social media assistant. So I worked as uh, behind the scenes for Instagram, just commenting and um, trying to get engagement up. And they have a different group called for peer support providers, which basically helps other people going through PMDD. And I decided to volunteer on that side. And over there, when I come across so many different people, specifically moms who've gone through postpartum depression, pregnancy mm-hmm. anxiety, I found my community and my people uh, and that's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I'm help, you know, helping other people, helping other moms, not necessarily see through the PMDD side of it, but also like in general, these are, these feelings that we're having, these are all normal. We're going to get through this together. I think that definitely helps me where I am today. I think it's been over a year.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. So right, I think a bit of what you were saying is like that people who have a PMS or PMDD have a higher likelihood of developing perinatal mood or anxiety disorder because of that sensitivity to hormone changes.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, So that that community in there sounds super important to normalize this. That yeah, uh, another way to know that you're not alone.
1: Right. Exactly. And I mean, again, through that entire process of listening and hear other people's stories you're like i'm definitely not only normal <laughs> i'm not alone and i'm definitely more than enough and helping other people has been an amazing journey
0: oh wow that's that's fantastic you you sound uh, so passionate about these topics and i just love your your journey where in terms of uh, you you went through a lot and you fought your whole way and now in your ability to embrace that this is what happened and find your connection and strength and, and power through that is really, really amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you again, Lila, for being with us today. For those of you who'd like to connect with Lila, please find her at LilaTawala.com. She's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you all for joining us on the Mom and Mind podcast. Please make sure you're subscribed so that you get all of these episodes. Please do subscribe and share this episode or any of the ones that resonate with you with anybody else who you think could benefit. All of our episodes are very real, some of them very difficult to listen to, but I know from every single person who's ever suffered, they would have rather known about this. They would have rather been educated about these conditions before having to find out the hard way by surprise. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.
3: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence